challenging, thought-provoking, insightful. This is the Ninja Pastor with Sunday's God in Country with Dr. Sean. Hosted by nationally known speaker, Reverend Dr. Sean Michael Greener. Not your typical reverend. Dr. Sean is a proud U.S. military veteran, former law enforcement officer, founder of the internationally regarded executive protection team. Through his riveting national speaking, this ninja pastor tells it like it is. This show is biblically and politically engaged in the battle to save our country. With a pedal to the metal. With this Sunday's edition of Sundays with Dr. Sean. Buckle up. Here's your host, the author of the critically acclaimed book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America. Reverend Dr. Sean, the Ninja Pastor, with today's message. Welcome, welcome, welcome to everybody listening all around the country and around the world. We're honored to have 16 nations listening last week, last Sunday. So that's so cool. Uh, To my Ukraine folks that are listening, God bless you. We're praying for you. We actually have some people in Egypt, two different people listening from Egypt last week. So honored about that, and we're waiting to hear back as to whether or not they're okay from the bombing uh, today. Welcome to our folks in chat, to those who are new to chat and those who are uh, joining us for the umpteenth time. We're so glad to have you in uh, many states well represented there. Well, I don't know about where you live, but it's beautiful where we live. It is really, really gorgeous. And Mr. Stavely, uh, he pointed out I did did a poor job as a photographer. You're supposed to always have your camera with you, and there's a big old owl out on the tree out back. You know I would have loved to take about, I don't know, two, three hundred pictures of that, but I didn't have my camera with me. Yikes. That was bad. But, you know, what are we going to do? Hello to our our brother Jerry. We love you. And uh, continue to improve. Just ain't the same without you. To those who are sick, you know, out there sick, not feeling well, going through all this end of uh, end of winter, beginning of spring sickness. Miss Charlotte, she made it in today, uh, but we're we're glad to have you. Hope to get back to 100% soon. And uh, also to Gloria, we know that Gloria is listening, not feeling too terribly good today, and several others that are just under the weather. And we just continue to pray for you. Pray a special prayer for Don, our brother Don, who is out there. Um, we just continue to pray for him and also for Chris Cahalan and his family, Ellickson family, and, and for Eric, my buddy Eric, and, and so many others. But really, uh, one other one we want to add is uh, to Carson Sellers as well as uh, his whole family. You know, we, we pray for him a lot. We pray for him every week. Uh, but we also need to pray for the family. It's a tough thing to go through, and, uh, you know, it's just amazing the grace that they have and great uh, – wonderful grandparents and family and all that, but uh, it is just really amazing to see their faith. And we're uh, we're praying for a miracle in that case. So after our Living Hope message last week, you know, the one where I boo-hooed through half of it, uh, a plea for holy living. It always follows up with that thing you'd just rather not talk about, but that's kind of the way Scripture is, Scripture study and, and all of that. It's just one of those things. Uh, you just have to... Uh, Sometimes you have to take the tough with the easy. You got to take the obligation with the gift. And that's kind of what this is. Uh, I know some folks will rail uh, against it. By the way, thank you to all of you who, um, I'll, I'll tell you what, it, you know, last the letters and the, 
notes and the comments and different things that people sent to me last week. So encouraging. Uh, really, really encouraging. It really touched my heart. That does mean a lot. So be sure to reach out and let us know what you think. And if you have any questions, uh, definitely, definitely, you know, get a hold of us. Send me a message at uh, smgreener at uh, gmail.com or go to the ninjapastor.com and hit the contact me page, send it through there. Um, you know, we're always looking for stuff through there or just send a direct email. Or if you have my phone number, uh, you know, Lord knows I put it out everywhere, send me a text message first and, and uh, we'll chat and we'll try to answer your question. First Kepha, First Peter 1, uh, 13. Therefore, get your minds ready for work. Keep yourselves under control and fix your hopes fully on the gift you will receive when Yeshua the Messiah is revealed. As people who obey God, do not let yourselves be shaped by the evil desires you used to have when you were still ignorant. Yes, they do use the word ignorant, for real and for true. Thank you, by the way, for you folks who are retweeting the announcement right now. It's awful kind of you, at the Ninja Pastor. Follow me on Twitter, at the Ninja Pastor. Keep yourselves under control and fix your hopes fully on the gift you will you will you will receive when Yeshua the Messiah is revealed. As people who obey God, do not let yourselves be shaped by the evil desires you used to have when you were still, what's the word? Ignorant. Or when I was growing up, ignorant. That boy's ignorant. That's kind of what we used to say. We skip a few letters. But ignorant. On the contrary, following the Holy One who called you, become holy yourselves, in your entire way of life, since the Tanakh says you are to be holy because I am holy. Now, let's address the elephant in the room. There's not really an elephant in the room. It's actually a pink unicorn. But uh, so the pink unicorn in the room is this. I thought that everything in the New Testament was fluffy and all grace-oriented and sweet and fluffy and nice and just, you know, the law was tossed out. The Old Testament had somebody, I, um, if you go to WDEL.com, I think it is, you can listen to my interview this week supporting Senator David Lawson. Uh, but then I did an interview on there, and, and the response was literally thousands of comments. And one of the comments was, is you must not be a very good pastor because you don't realize that the New Testament did away with the Old Testament, and, uh, and uh, God gave us grace, and because of that, none of that old stuff has any bearing anymore. I would like to point out that I am reading First Kepha or First Peter, and everyone here in the audience, where is that? The New Testament. And it says, since the Tanakh says you are to be holy because I am holy. Now, I want to go back to First Peter 1.15 really fast. On the contrary, following the Holy One who called you, important step there, following the Holy One who calls you, become holy yourselves in your entire way of life. Now, let me say this. I'm not holy. There you go. Good night. We can go home. Well, there's some still some brownies. Yeah, yeah. Wes says not for long. So I guess maybe we can go home, right? I'm not holy. There's the big, con there's the big confession. I'm not holy. Well, gee, if the pastor's not holy, nobody's going to be holy. Well, that's not true. It doesn't, doesn't work that way doesn't work that way, and that's not what it says. So you'll notice that this section starts with the word therefore in the complete Jewish Bible, which is what I read from. Or in the, if you're a King James Version 
uh, person, you will see wherefore. Now the word points us back to our salvation that Kepha or Peter has just talked about in the previous verses. Remember last week, you know, we talked that really the living hope, you know, that was really, uh, really uh, a fun thing to talk about, even though it made me boo-hoo. It was, uh, it was, a, it was a wonderful sermon to preach, and it was a very difficult sermon to preach, because when we talk about the living hope, we talk about something beautiful and wonderful. Our hope, salvation is, what is it? Heaven. To be with the Lord forever, eternity in heaven. No more struggles, no more pain, no tears, no sorrows, no sickness, no darkness, no disappointment, none of it. Perfection. It's so much easier to talk about that, but then that reminds us of those who have passed before us and, and those that are struggling right now health-wise. And, and we, we are reminded that time is very short. Living hope. Living hope for what? Living hope for heaven. Yeah. Everybody wants to go to heaven. Nobody wants to die. It is just a thing, although there's some people here that I think would, would raise their hand and say, all right, I'm ready right now. Just tell me where your keys are. So the word points us back to our salvation. And Kepha just talked about that. We, we talked about that last week because Christians, it, the salvation we have is indescribable. I mean, it, it is just, uh, it, it's, it's, it's just extraordinary. I'm going back here seeing, I think I did quote a few of these verses last week too. So you, you can't complain now. You can't be upset with me. Say, well, last week was so nice to listen to and everything. And now this week, boy, what a disappointment. But I kind of gave you a hint last week. When the soul is regenerated and the Holy Spirit moves in, life is no longer business as usual. We are to be a holy people. Salvation means a change in lifestyle. A daily, everyday change in lifestyle. How many of you have uh, you remember a day where you were perfect? Anybody? Anybody at all? Anybody? No hand? Oh, okay, somebody in the back. But you you thought you were perfect, but you were wrong about that. So yeah, a morning we didn't get up. It was before you took your first breath. It was tomorrow. Right. That's awesome. Right. So all of us fail. All of us have this thing. It, it is a daily struggle. Part of the whole point of coming to church, part of the whole point of gathering together with the saints and the redeemed is is to work on all of this stuff together. It, it, but, you know, just like in the conservative party, we always it's a circular firing squad, isn't it? It seems like it always is. We talk about whenever you talk about holiness, the very first thing out of somebody is, well, who do you think he is? He think he's holy, but he ain't. I know him. You know, it's that's always the way it is, that's the, and that's the first place that unbelievers go, right, when they're going to dispute you. Uh, I had an atheist following me on one of my posts, and, and she was really, really, really going on and on and on and on. Finally, I said, look, you know, I get it. You win. You're smarter than me. You're all of these things more than me. Great mom raising your children. God bless you. I wish you the very best. I wish you the very best. Certainly, we all hope for an eternity that's not dark and awful and terrible and eternal, right? My hope is for heaven, and I pointed her back to last week's message, but she said that that's just silliness, silliness to believe in anything like that. And, you know, you can't argue with people like that. And then, But what happened? What happened after that is, you know, you're condemning people, you're this, you're that, you're uh, judgmental, judge not lest you be judged. That's always the first, first passage they go to, judge not lest you be judged. I thought you were supposed to be a pastor. You're not supposed to condemn. 
I'm not in the condemning business. That's well above my pay grade. But rest you, uh, rest your laurels just a little while longer because the, uh, the one whose pay grade that is will handle it. So there's a song uh, written by Reginald Weber in 1826, and I, I thought it was pretty, pretty powerful. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Early in the morning, our song shall rise to thee. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty. God in three persons, blessed Trinity. Holy, 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 all the saints adore thee, casting down their golden crowns around the glassy sea. Cherubim and seraphim falling down before thee, who wert and art and evermore shall be. Holy, holy, holy. Though the darkness hide thee, though the eye may blind by sin, thy glory may not see. Only thou art holy. There is none beside thee, perfect in power and love and purity. Holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, all thy works shall praise thy name in earth and in sky and in sea. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty. God in three persons, blessed Trinity. Well, that's an old song, right? 1826, that's a long time ago. But it's as true today as it was then. Not to shock you here, but it's just as hard to achieve holiness then as it is now. Now, you know, people say, well, boy, if you were a kid today, you're really having a struggle because it's, there's so many more temptations. And and some would say as it relates to holiness, well, you know, you got these you got these handheld devices, you all of the different challenges to holiness for Christians, challenges to temptation, all these different things, all the access to food to eat in excess, or all the nine hundred things that, that trip us up on a daily. People would say it's 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 harder now. I think sometimes we do ourselves a disservice and, and, and we disrespect our our elders and the ancients because I don't think it was any I don't think it's any harder now than it was then. I mean, so many challenges, so many things, just different time. There was a different time. But when this was written, eighteen twenty six, my goodness. What a praise. What a what a lifting to heaven. And all the while, holy, holy, holy. We're to be holy, putting pressure on ourselves to be holy. Now in the modern age we hate pressure on ourselves, right? Stress kills, right? We hear that all the time. Well, why don't stress over stuff like that? Stress kills. I think a lot of times we're just we're so upset by any talk of holiness because it is stressful and we're unprepared. It is stressful. It's stressful. Let's be honest. Hey, look, if you if you set a high bar for yourself, you set a benchmark and you say, you know what, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to do that anymore. Uh, I you know I always tell people if they're trying to quit smoking, don't say you know I'm not going to smoke. Say I am a non-smoker. I am a non. That's challenging. You know, what are we having here in this state? Um, I read all the time about heroin. I know people personally that have been touched by heroin overdoses and heroin laced with fentanyl and heroin laced with this, that, and the other thing. And there's people dropping like flies. And now President Trump has to have a, a special uh, task force. It's the first one of its kind to deal with heroin the way in the opiate uh, epidemic. It's just terrible. So you'd think looking at that, that it is harder just to live, let alone be holy. And I think that's why a lot of people, a lot of pastors, they just don't bring it up. They just don't talk about it. They don't talk about holiness because when you talk about holiness, you put a spotlight on yourself. And as believers, as followers of the way, as Christians and as Messianics, when we talk about the command from Kepha or Peter to be holy, our command to holiness, 
oh, people look at you like you're nuts. And then they also kind of look at you and say, let me look at you for five minutes. Let me look at your hard drive. Let me look at your phone. Let me, let me look at your refrigerator. Let me look at how you talk to your neighbors or your coworkers. Let me look at how late you are every day for work. Let me look at this. Let me look at that. Let me look at how many lies you've told. And on and on and on. And they say, just give me five minutes. I'll find something to knock you off your peg. So that's why a lot of pastors, are just, they're just unwilling to talk about it. Because the challenges to our own personal holiness are really great. And it's, it's very easy to catch somebody nowadays. Trust me, I used to do that for a living. Catch somebody doing something they shouldn't do. And when it's somebody that's standing up saying, hey, God calls us to holiness, that's a scary business. So I'll save you the trouble. I'm not holy. Not even close. You're welcome. Preparation for holiness. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Yeshua Christ. Yeshua HaMashiach. That's first Kepha, or first Peter one thirteen. There's a threefold formula here, and I think that'll prepare us to live a life of holiness. But see, the thing is, is in the old days, what do we used to say? In the olden days, in the olden days, you know, back when we think they had it so easy. We think that they did. We think somehow or another, uh, we got a raw deal by born in the, being born in the modern age, but back then they had it so easy. But the fact of the matter is, is they had to gird up their loins just like we do. It's a lot harder, a lot more challenges to living uh, back then. So Kepha warns uh, in first uh, Kepha 1, 13, the beginning of 13, uh, gird up the loins of your mind. Now, look, here's the thing, folks. In the preparation, you know, girding up the loins of your mind, be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Yeshua Christ. That threefold formula. We got to be serious, folks. You got to be serious about it. You can't half go at it. You can't say, "Well, I'll give it a try today for half the day." I'll ten minutes. Hey, Steve, there's brownies down here. I'm just pointing that out. I'm not trying to cause anybody to fall, but there's there's a hawk over here. He's rest rest fully in the truth that he has had brownies. He's worried about that owl coming in here, stealing some of those brownies. Brownies are real good. I'm a fan of brownies, so you can tell by looking at me. We've got to be serious about, if, if we're going to pursue this scripture thing, following scripture and, and following Christ and following, you know, the disciples who were preaching this, we've got to be serious about it. You can't just go, well, I'll give it a try. I don't know. Let, we'll see. Oh, I might make it till nine. You know, that's starting off ready to lose. Starting off ready to quit. You know, you're just giving yourself an out. We've got to be serious. Gird up the loins of your mind. Of your mind. Man, where does where where is our biggest challenge? It's always in our mind. It always starts in our mind. Always in our mind. Always in our mind. That's why you have to be careful what you see. You have to be careful what you see because that gets implanted into your mind. It's hard to get get out of your head. Now, what does Kepha mean by this command? Gird up the loins. Now, there was a custom in, in the Bible days of, you know, men used to wear long robes and different, their outfits had long, you know, there was multiple layers to it. So you had to, you had to, Gather up your long robe and tie them around your waist. If you had to work, any hard working, any running, even if you had to walk fast so you wouldn't trip because these are long things. Elijah is a great example of uh, a man girding up his loins. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. That's First Kings 18.46. So you had to gird up your loins. So gather up, gather up your clothing, right? You cinch it up. You had to cinch it up. Now, Kepha uses this practice as an analogy to illustrate the need to protect our minds. 
When Cephas said, gird up the loins of your mind, he's saying, don't let your mind trip you up. Most believers, now this is the truth. If you're, if you're being honest with yourself, I'll be honest with you. You be honest with yourself. Most believers trip and fall because their mind's not right. They're not thinking right. For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Proverbs 23, 7. Sin has its origin in the thought life. It has its origin in the mind. You say, well, I can't help what I think. Yeah, you can. You can. You can think it once, comes into your mind, but do you dwell on it? Do you go back to it? Do you nurse that? Do you nurse that thought that's going to trip you up? Do you go back to it? Listen, God doesn't say, hey, look, I expect you to be perfect all the time. Never think anything. But that second thought. You've heard that saying, oh, don't give it a second thought. And that's what gets us. That second thought, that third thought, that habit, becomes a hurt habit or hang up. He was saying, don't let your mind trip you up. Don't let your mind trip you up. Sin has its origin in the thought life. Yeshua said, from within, out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornication, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, and evil lie, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. That's Mark 7, 21 through 23. It's in the thought life that sin is conceived. When Kepha said, gird up the loins of your mind, he's telling us, gather up those loose ends of our thought life. Lest it trip us up, and it will trip us up. Shaul or Paul, he put it this way, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. You can look that up in 2 Corinthians 10.5. Here's what you don't know about that. This is military language. Shaul or Paul is using military language. The term casting down, it speaks of a struggle to defeat the enemy. To defeat the enemy in a military way to defeat the enemy. If you're going to defeat sin, there must be an all-out war launched against your thought life, your thought life, not somebody else's. Look, we can't control. That's one of the reasons why I, I speak all over the country about, uh, did a lot on the radio this week, West Coast and East Coast and middle of the country interviews talking about Sharia law. There were a lot of questions about Sharia law. And I said, the thing you have to understand about Sharia law and Islam is the the religious police in Islam they don't regulate just your public behavior. They regulate your private thoughts. Some they guess by looking at you. They're magical people, I guess, and they can read your mind. And, and you could be killed. You'd be killed for looking gay. You could be killed for saying something that seems kind of gay. Believe it or not, they'll just gather you up and throw you off the roof. See, that's the reality. That's That's the reality. But see... Each of us don't know each other's thought life except for what comes from it. You have to fight like a soldier to bring your imaginations under control. Listen, that's a hard thing, especially if you have a big imagination. I have a big imagination. My mother always told me, listen, if you never get to a job or a, a, a money situation, financial situation in your life, that you can travel a bunch of places, you know what? If you know how to read a book, you go anywhere in the world. You read a book, you go anywhere in the world, because your imagination is a beautiful thing. It can carry you anywhere. And, you know, I took that to heart. And then when I got to go to some of the greatest cities in the world, some of the greatest countries in the world, some of the most desolate places in the world, amazing thing, uh, I saw a show on television called uh, Meat Eaters, and uh, it's a hunting and, and natural living kind of show, and I kind of like it. Uh, they went to a place where the the had never seen human beings. It was that desolate. An elk, very likely, they'd never seen a human being, and that human being had never stood in the spot 
where those hunters were because it was so remote. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that? But we don't live like that, do we? We have radio and television and, you know, our phones, our smartphones. Our smartphones are really computers, highly capable computers, with all the wisdom of the known secular natural world just all piled up in there. Half of the stuff probably isn't even true. But the fact is, is we go to it and we believe it. We look at it and we believe it. But what comes with all the power and the benefit of the Internet and smartphones and laptops and notebooks and iPads and whatever else, there's a lot of bad stuff comes with it too and it's tempting paul says bringing into captivity every thought bringing into captivity every thought to the and see this is the hard part bring every thought bring it into captivity to the obedience of christ the previous verse before that talks about strongholds the enemy set up a stronghold in our mind believers still have thoughts and images in their mind from before they were saved or before they got strong enough to, to fight effectively. But the community of believers, we don't fight together. There's certain things the community of believers we don't talk about. There's certain hurts, habits, and hangouts. Well, that's not something you talk about. Guess what's being talked about? All across America today, more now than it was just a year ago, two things, pornography and heroin. Pornography and heroin. When the pastor is fired 45% of the time now, it is due to pornography. 45 percent of the time on church computers unbelievable you want to talk about an addiction talk about an addiction that's crippling people all over the world even pastors stronghold of the mind the enemy set up a stronghold of the mind and because we have all these thoughts and images from before we came to christ we can't get them out they're things we'd love to get rid of listen i know people that struggle so hard Heroin, the number two thing that people talk about now that only a year ago we weren't really talking about. Heroin, even in churches, especially in churches. What a thing, right? Who in the world doesn't know at this point of life that you stick a needle in your arm with what you think is heroin, your life's not going to get better, your life's going to end. But the bottom line is people, even church people, they're, they're sticking needles in their arms. Kids that were raised well, sticking needles in their arms and dying. 23, 25, professional people, pilots, dying from drugs. Talk about it so much, I guess we probably should have in the church. We'd like to get rid of them, but they're strongholds, and boy, are they strong. But we are to attack these strongholds and take them captive. But you know what? We've got to do it together. We'll stop all this embarrassment stuff. We do. Our goal is bring into captivity every single thought. Every single thought, folks. Look, my mind rages. Certain things happen in this world. Whew, you don't know what was run through my mind. Lord, I'm about to lose my witness. True story. Some stuff just makes me flat out, man, I'll fly into a red-hot rage quick. People hurting children. People hurting elderly. People abusing the generousness of Christians and then taking... Uh, followers of Christ and, and messianics and taking their goodwill and using it against them so that they can harm them. The religious, political, and military ideology of Islam does it every day. Boy, that makes me mad. i got to watch what I think. got to watch what I think. Speak the truth in love. Look, here's the thing. Bringing into captivity every thought. The idea here is that taking it, 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 what this really in the Hebrew is taking an enemy soldier as prisoner. 
and bring that soldier into obedience. You take that thought, every thought, and you make it a, you take, you take them captive. They're your enemy. You take them, they can't fight you anymore. They're a prisoner now. He's no longer warring against you. He is your prisoner. He no longer controls you. You control him. Rather than sitting around ruminating about things we know will trip us up, Christians, followers of the way, believers, need to recognize that the thought life can be sinful and therefore launch an attack and take such thoughts captive. I think one of the reasons nowadays it's so hard for us, I'm not going to say that it's more difficult for us now, because I don't believe that. I think every society says, oh, well, it's much harder for us. And then we're giving ourselves an out. I think that's a cop-out a little bit. But but one thing that does make it more difficult is because we're surrounded so much by media. You know, you go to the airport now, there's TVs everywhere. You drive down the road and you see these interactive electronic billboards. You see that even in cars, you know, I see in some of the newer cars, though, when when the commercial is on the radio, you see a picture pop up of what that commercial is. And, and sometimes it, it, it's not that great. And I, I always wonder, why does Victoria's Secret advertise on the radio, you know? But they do. And if you have a certain type of car nowadays, you're going to see an ad pop up for that. We have to launch an attack. We have to be proactive about it. Can't wait around and see it take us over. But to launch an attack, we have to take such thoughts captive. So the question is, does your thought life trip you up? Like Kepha said, we've got to gird up the loins of our mind. What's the next thing? We've got to be sober. We must be sober. First Kepha 113 talks about that. Now look, we usually think of soberness as what? In connection with abstaining from alcohol. That's not what Kepha is dealing with here. Folks, let me settle a long-standing debate within the Christian community. Drinking in and of itself, consuming alcohol in and of itself, is not condemned. These folks, these great, uh, they, they, would have, they would have been dehydrated to death if they stopped drinking wine. Well, that's not, it's not the wine you're talking about now. It's, uh, that was like drinking watered-down grape jelly. No, no, it was stronger than it is today. So let's let that part go. But that's not what Be Sober is talking about. Context here is still our mind. It's still our mind. It's getting control over our mind, but we've got to be sober. Just like alcohol will dull the physical senses, senses and impair your judgment and influence our actions, so will the wrong thoughts. Man, there's nothing that can trip you up and send you the wrong way than the wrong thoughts. You say, I haven't even acted on them yet, but look, everything's falling apart. Wrong thoughts, everything's falling apart, and I haven't even done anything yet. You know, I counsel people, and, and, and I deal with real-life situations every day. And when I counsel people, uh, maybe it's a couple, and, and uh, there was an allegation of, of uh, uh, infidelity. The people say, well, you know, and I'll, I'll go through, and I'll walk them through everything, and I'll say, okay, spill it. Tell me everything. Of course, they never do. First time, second time, third time around. They think I'm kidding when I say, look, if I sense you're not telling me everything, I'm out. I'm not trying to make a Lexus payment. I'm out, you know. I'm not going to sit here and take your money if if you're just going to sit here and lie to me. And then finally they come around to it and they'll tell what happens. Usually it's in dribs and drabs. And sometimes the person didn't even act on it. They didn't even act on that thing, but it was a fantasy. Something took them a little ways longer than they intended to go. And that impaired the judgment. It changed, it dulled the physical senses, and now the people are struggling. The couple's struggling. They can't communicate. They don't, 
But then they say, well, you never understood me. You never loved me. And then we go into all that stuff. But the reality of it is, is filling ourselves with, I, I made a recommendation to one of my counselees uh, that pornography was such a problem that I said, get you a flip phone, get you a flip phone, get you a burner phone, uh, you know, tell your work that you need the, the strictest controls on your work iPad for your all that stuff, the strictest controls on any technology you have, and then have your spouse manage the security of your devices. You no longer have access to the security of the device. She knows his password, you don't. People say, well, that's crazy. That's That doesn't even seem like, you know, this century. What, what in the world? That's just nuts. The wrong thoughts, they'll mess everything up. He's telling us not to be controlled and intoxicated by our wicked thoughts, but to be clear-headed and to think scripturally. He uses the same word in being alert in prayer, but the end of all things is at hand. Be therefore sober and watch unto prayer. That's first case of four seven or first Peter four seven. End of being on the lookout for satanic attack. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. The idea here is you gotta be sober minded and clear-headed listen talk about the lion walking around walking around now, i always say you guys know i want to go i always like being around animals that can kill me i do i like it elephants rhinoceros hippopotamus you know the deadliest animal in africa isn't the lion isn't the snakes no even not even the wildebeest it's a hippopotamus responsible for more deaths than any other wildebeest is number two lion isn't even number two isn't that something they all like the lion because he's pretty cool and he has that roar and he looks awesome let's be honest nobody ever says you know what my spirit animal is i'm a hippopotamus i'm a wildebeest no there was i'm a lion but see that that ryan that lion walks around and look a lion can move silently i know this firsthand a lion can be up on you before you even know it even if you're looking for him the lion can be up on you you say man i know what to look for i got a problem with my thought life i'm i'm, I'm being vigilant i'm looking around I'm sober. That line can be up on you quick. You got to be sober-minded. You have to be clear-headed. You got to be searching. Here's the next thing. You got to be searching. You have to keep your heart fixed on the return of Christ, of Hamashiach. You have to keep your mind. Listen, last week in the Living Hope, if you didn't, if you weren't able to listen, uh, you have to. By the way, welcome to Alaska. Thank you for joining us. Um, you go back and listen to that. It's free. It doesn't cost you anything on the NinjaPastor.com. Click on that. The living hope. It's so important to understand what all this is about. You gotta keep your heart fixed on the return of Christ. Kephar, Peter says, Hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Yeshua Hamashiach, or Jesus Christ. First Peter one thirteen. Again, Kepha mentions the hope of Christ's return. The phrase to the end speaks of completion. Of completion. It is accomplished. That's what Christ said on the cross. He didn't say it is finished. I'm finished. I quit. He said a lot of times people say it is finished. He gave up. It is finished and then gave up. the. That's not what he said. He said it's accomplished. The goal's been achieved. Mission accomplished. He didn't say anything about finished. He didn't, wasn't quitting anything. Points to the end of the church age when Yeshua Hamashach steps out onto the clouds sounds a trumpet to call his people home at last. That is our blessed hope. A sober anticipation of the fact that Yeshua might come at any moment would certainly clean up our thought lives. Man, if you if you were constantly thinking about 
Father, Heavenly Father, he might, he might send his son, not as a baby this time, any nanosecond, any second. People say, atheists, people who are against God, they say this all the time. You, and, and I hear it all the time, and it, and it cracks me up when I say it, and it also causes me pity. I think of Christ standing there looking down at Jerusalem and shedding a tear. They just don't get it, and they never will. Can't convince them. Only God can change an atheist's heart. You be who you're supposed to be, and you be the testimony, the witness you're supposed to be. The imminent return of Christ. Can you imagine if every thought was predicated and followed? bookmarked every thought every natural thought was predicated with remembering christ will come atheists say this you know what i don't that's why they made up this boogeyman call they love to call christ the boogeyman that's why you all need that boogeyman need make you be good first of all what you call good is stupid we're grown folks around here we act like grown folks we don't need somebody to be our secret boss be our santa so we'll be good that's not how it is Look, this belief, the imminent return of Yeshua, it motivates the believer to live a holy life and promotes the purity and separation of the church from the world. See, that's the thing. We try to be all things to all people, didn't we? How many churches have you seen? Their advertisements are all about, you know, you be welcomed. There'll be no pressure put on you. Uh, you're going to love it. It's great. Whatever type of music you like, it's what we have. What's your favorite? That's what we have. You know, you, you turn your kids over to the nursery. You're finally going to be able to have some time by yourself. You know what? You call come to church a date if you want. We'll take care of the kids. We'll babysit your kids. We have great coffee. That's one of the reasons why people don't come back in. Did you know that? The coffee situation. Did you all know that? They don't like the coffee. Seriously. I kid you not. I know one church that spent $5,000 on a coffee machine. So they $5,000 they didn't have. So they could bring in people and attract them with their coffee. Fancy, expensive coffee machine. Beloved, now we are the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear. What shall be? But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. First John, or Yochanan 3, 2 through 3. We just say this first. If you know that somebody's going to come along, and it's going to put a challenge on you. It's going to keep you honest. Somebody important. Somebody that you value. Somebody that you care about what they think of you. You know they're coming along and they're going to check up on you. You'd probably be careful about what you were doing, wouldn't you? You probably would. There's no greater than Christ. Every man that hath this hope. Well, what hope? Again, not to plug last Sunday's sermon because I don't get paid by the listen. Uh, as loud, you know, I loudly and tearfully exclaimed, the return of Christ is coming. The rapture, the living hope, the hope that we as believers have. We have it. I know it's coming. I know it's coming, and I know in whom I believe, and I don't have any doubt at all. I don't doubt it at all. But the rapture is the rapture, and once that moment, once the lightning crosses the east to the west, splits the sky in an instant, it's over. Your chance for decision is over. Mulling it over, having scientific affirmation of what you doubt because you're so much smarter than God. Well, why would God create a world that people are so awful? 
Well, I don't know. Take a look in the mirror. Sometimes each of us do some pretty awful things. Whose fault is that? God's or ours? The Christian who is expecting the any moment return of Christ will be a committed Christian. You know people like that. I know people like that. The powerful. Powerful, you know people like that. Now, you can be so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. That's a fact. You still got to work here on earth. You got to mow your grass. Don't let your grass get high. Let the county come out and tell you, mow your grass. You don't, don't, well, why didn't you mow your grass? There's a pro fight out there. Why don't you you mow your grass? Well, I'm not going to mow my grass. Lord's coming. Is he coming right now? I don't know. Well, tell you what, I don't think he'll mind. He'll shut your mower off if you're mowing your grass. How about mowing that grass? Because we who remain like like he are to be kept up a little bit. We don't want to have a mess. Right? You go to work. Well, why don't you go to, why don't you work hard? Well, the Lord's coming back. I don't want to invest myself too much in all this mess here because the Lord's coming back. I don't want to, you know. Well, you gotta work. You gotta be have a good testimony. The Christian's duty is to live at all times the way he would want the Savior to find us. That moment, each and every moment, that's how we're supposed to live. He asked the question, Yeshua asked the question, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? Luke 18.8. The faithful Christian is living and watching for the return of the Savior. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly. That's Pentecostal crows out there, folks. We got the windows open. Them are some Pentecostal crows, and they are testifying. Oh yeah, I know the the hawk and the and between the hawk and the owl, we got a we got a fight going on. So teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, not for not down the road. In this world today, looking for that blessed hope of and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Yeshua Hamashiach. That's Titus two. 11 through 13. There's no greater incentive to living a sanctified life than the imminent return of Christ. Dr. R.A. Torrey said, The imminent return of our Lord is the greatest Bible argument for a pure, unselfish, devoted, unworldly, active life of service. Holiness. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. That's First Kepha or Peter 1.14. We are to pursue holiness. Holiness isn't going to come to us. It's not. You say, what are you doing standing on this corner? I'm waiting for holiness. I'm waiting for holiness to come along. Nope. you got to go pursue it. It's obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. First case of 114, we're to pursue holiness. The Hebrew Christians were instructed to follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. That's Hebrews 12:14. And follow there says, go. Go. Follow peace with all men. Go. We are to follow after or go after holiness. We are given two requirements concerning the pursuit of holiness. First and foremost, there must be submission. Man, nobody likes to talk about submission. Nobody likes to submit. Nowadays, you know, when somebody, I don't know who that somebody might be, but when somebody does something really, really wrong, somebody's really messed up bad, and I mean messed up bad. Not kidding around bad, I mean really messed up. A lot of times they'll come up with excuses. They'll say, well, it's your fault. It's your fault. You didn't do this enough. You didn't do that enough. You know, they'll look around them, the people close to them. Oh, it's your fault. I talked to somebody the other week, and and they said, they were talking about, I said, well, why are you living the way you live? And uh, they immediately pointed to, it's their fault. 
who's over there? Well, that's my parents. That's their fault. The way they raised me. That's that's why I'm the way I am. The way my parents raised me. Pursuit of holiness. As obedient children, the first requirement of the pursuit of holiness is obedience. Submission. Submission. The sign of submission is obedience. Nobody likes to talk about submission and obedience. Nobody does. It's it's not a, a cool subject anymore. And even in the churches we hear very little of it nowadays. The post-Western Evangelical Church just doesn't talk about it. They talk about the mercy and grace of God, his healing power. You don't have to be sick. You can be healed. Nobody wants to talk about submission and obedience. But here's the scary thing. You want proof of salvation? Here it is, obedience. Obedience is the proof of salvation, and whereby we do know that we know him if we keep his suggestions. Is that how it goes? No, it does not. And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. First Yochanan or John 2, 3. Obedience. It's the difference between a mere profession of faith and a genuine experience of salvation. Obedience is the voluntary subjection of one's will to the will of another. When, when the Christian reads the Bible or hears God's word preached, he or she is to line up his life with the Bible. If one continues to reject the will of God, it is a good sign that they have not been born again, regenerated, redeemed. You know, even Samuel said to Saul, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. That's 1 Samuel 15, 23. Either you obey, which is the proof of your salvation, or you disobey, which is a sign you're not saved. Even Charles Spurgeon said, an unchanged life is the sign of an uncleansed heart. One of the greatest hindrances to the work of Christ is the failure of his people in this matter of obedience. Mine too. Obedience. I don't like, who in here likes to be told what to do? No, nobody would like to be told what to do. Nobody does. Honest to goodness. I said that one time in a group and the lady raised her hand. She raised her hand like this, said, I like to be told what to do. And the husband very quickly leaned over, didn't think anybody could speech read. And he said, no, you don't. Oh, you're right. I don't. Get it? That's a joke grenade. But there's some truth to it. One of the greatest hindrances of the work of Christ is the failure of his people, myself included, in this matter of obedience. The need of the hour is for God's people to simply submit to the will of God. Behold, to obey is better than to sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams, 1 Samuel 15, 22. It comes down to this simple thing. There's a little song we used to sing when we were little kids. If you came up in the church before worship songs became popular, you used to sing, Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Right? It's simple, right? So people come up to me and they ask me this question because I'm supposed to be the guy that knows the answers. You know, doctor of theology means you know everything. And they'll ask me, they'll say to me, uh, Dr. Sean, uh, I'm just searching and praying for the calling of my life. The Lord's not giving it to me. And I'll start humming that little tune. <laughs> I'll be like, well, that sounds familiar. I said, yeah, you know what it is? It's trust and obey. There you go. Just trust and obey. Trust and obey. Two steps. It's very easy. Just be obedient until he shows you. Maybe this is what he's showing you. Maybe your biggest struggle is trusting him and obeying when he hasn't put a billboard up on the side of the road that you drive on every day to tell you, hey, this is what I want you to do with your life. Sometimes what I want you to do with your life, God saying to the follower, 
is follow, is obey. Whatever I tell you, just do it. Don't ask a million questions before, when I say jump, ask how high on the way up. Ask how high on the way up. You ever do that? Boy, in, in boot camp, we were told that. Ask how high on the way up. We tell you to jump, you better ask how high on the way up. Immediate obedience. Immediate obedience. To obey is better than sacrifice. Listen, I know lots of people who don't obey God, but boy, they're in that church all the time, moving chairs, running the vacuum, every fancy thing that's asked for of them. They're in there. They're volunteering for everything. But they don't obey. They don't obey the direction of God. There must be separation. Kepha says, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. The word fashioning here means to pattern one's life after. Before salvation, we patterned our life however we wanted. We patterned it after the natural. We patterned it after the world. Hey, man, that's easy. The world does whatever it wants to do. It does whatever it wants to do, just like nature. I tell people all the time, listen here, you got better understand, there's nothing more dangerous than nature. Nature doesn't care about you. Polar bear, he doesn't care that you think he's cute, that you can't wait to go and see the polar bear. Polar bear knows if you walk into his, in his territory, guess what he's going to do? He's going to smell you from five miles away, and when he finds you, guess what he's going to do? He's going to break your spine, and then he's going to eat you, one bite at a time. Don't get mad at the polar bear. Don't get mad at the sharks when they eat up people. You go in the ocean to get mad at them. That's what nature does. You run around uh, places in Alaska, the Arctic, you run around those places, guess what's going to happen to you if you're not prepared and you're not attentive? You will die. You will absolutely die. Nature doesn't care. The world doesn't care either. The world doesn't care. The world can do anything it wants. Before salvation, what did we do? We patterned our life after the world. And that was easy. That's super, super easy. Kepha is saying, now that you're saved, change that. Even Shaul or Paul said, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's Romans 12, 2. The word conformed is the same word translated fattening in the first Peter or first Kepha. The idea is now that we're saved, we don't pattern our life after the world, but after Christ. And when one is conformed to the world, he's patterning his actions and life after his former lost lifestyle. Listen, when we're conformed to the world, we're patterning ourselves after that brokenness, that mess that got us in the place we're in, that got us in all the mud. Conformed is to fit in the path of least resistance or the least negative attention from the world. Look, the lost world, there's nothing they value more than fitting in. There's nothing uh, a, a young girl will wear a skimpy bathing suit, even, even if... You know, she knows she's not supposed to wear stuff like that. She'll wear it because when she goes to the beach, guess what? All the other world will be expecting that and not to be covered up in a one-piece bathing suit or a modest. That's just how, that's reality, folks. We, we don't, the world wants to fit in, first and foremost. They want to fit in. They don't want attention on themselves for not fitting in. So they conform to the things of the world. Look, it's sad to say, but many professing Christians are still children of worldly lust rather than children of obedience. Worldly lusts, they can look awfully tempting. Worldly lusts look like normal things in the world, though. That's what you need to understand. You say, oh, why didn't I see that coming? Why didn't I notice that? Why, did, why wasn't I prepared for that? Why didn't I know? Why didn't I see that coming? Because it looked just like everything else in the world. Worldly lusts are normal. People who don't partake in those weird 
you ever look at somebody and you I'll give you an example. I just used an example of the beach. It just popped in my head. If you ever see anybody at the beach, you know you've got hundreds or thousands of young girls dressed in little tiny bikinis. And then you've got one young girl dressed very modestly. Maybe maybe you can really see that she has taken she's every bit as pretty as those other girls, but she's taking that extra step to say, Hey, I'm gonna be modest. I want this, I deserve that. The rest of the world, they, they view worldly lust as normal. That's their normal. They say, look, I deserve this. It's part of normal life. Worldly lusts are normal, and people who don't partake in the worldly lust, the worldly things, you, you stand out. You call attention. You're weird. You're odd. You think you're better than me? You think you're better than me because you don't wear bathing suit? Oh, yeah, I'm a super Christian. But Kepha, or Peter here, calls for separation from that kind of lifestyle. Listen, there's got to be school, and how can you know if you don't school yourself? Kepha speaks of the former lifestyle as a life lived according to ignorance. The Christian life is a learning experience. To get saved is to enter the school of Christ. Yeshua said, learn of me in Matthew 11:29. Our first and our continuing priority as a Christian is to learn all we can about our Savior and his ways. The word ignorant speaks of lacking information or intelligence concerning a matter. You see, we patterned ourselves after the world before we were saved because we were ignorant of what was right. The lost are described as having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their hearts. That's Ephesians 4.18. The lost man lives in ignorance. He's ignorant of God's word and God's will for his life. But a Christian isn't ignorant. We can't say we don't know. A Christian has God's word to inform him and God's spirit to guide him. One of the first things we learn in the school of Christ is that we are a new creature and the old things are passed away, 2 Corinthians 5.17. We got to make a change, folks. We better make a change. We better get in school. We're in school for the rest of our lives. We have to make holiness a priority. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. First Peter, or Kepha, one fifteen sixteen. Look, the bottom line is clear. A holy God demands a holy people for his name. For I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore sanctify yourselves, and you shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall you defile yourselves. That's Leviticus 11.44. Yeshua says, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven perfect. Matthew 5, 48. Perfection is God's plan for every believer. As I speak of an excellence killed the church, how mediocrity is destroying America, many Christians limit their salvation to a quick prayer and a cheap profession. Gee, that was easy. That was quick. That was painless. They have a profession of Christ on their lips, but they have no proof of Christ in their life. However, God takes our holiness seriously. 2 Corinthians 7.1 goes this way, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. I hate to tell you this, filthiness, but this will not be a surprise to you. Filthiness of the flesh and spirit most often looks smooth and silky and shiny, and it smells good and it tastes good. Filthiness masquerades as our very best friend, best friend we've been waiting for all our life. Filthiness masquerades like something we tell ourselves we desperately deserve, need, and want. But in reality, you know what filthiness is? Filthiness. We are to perfect holiness 
in our lives. The word perfecting speaks of finishing, completing, or fulfilling. It carries the idea of bringing something to its ultimate conclusion. Its ultimate conclusion. God's people are to be unholy people. In the second letter, Kepha wrote this, Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? That's 2 Peter or Kepha 3.11. God still demands holiness, and therefore holiness must be a priority in the life of every believer. Hebrews 12.14 again, Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. You see, we aren't finished until we're finished. We aren't finished until we're holy. Each and every day, we're to strive toward holiness. See, that's a fact that is unpopular to deliver. It's as unpopular as anything else will ever be unpopular. I think the, the least, the only, I think there's only one sermon in studies and surveys of, of people congregants all across churches in America. There's only one other thing you could preach about that's less popular, less well-received than preaching about holiness, and that is tithing. It's the only thing. Why? Why? Man, nobody wants that challenge. Nobody wants the challenge. I don't like it either. I'd be a liar if I sat here and said, yeah, I like, I like that being the measuring stick. There's a lot of things that I've tried for in my life that, are, that were virtually impossible to achieve, and I achieved them. Through the grace of God, I achieved them. But boy, you look at holiness and you say to yourself, man, that is, that's virtually impossible. But my goodness, if we were to obey, trust and obey, sisters, for no other way, it's a simple children's song. But what if we all tried together? God bless you and keep you. Thank you so much for joining us today. I so appreciate the folks in chat. I so appreciate media share. Uh, share all these things, and uh, we hope that you'll join us on uh, Wednesday at 5. Remember, our new show time is at 5. So we'd love for you to join us. We're going to have an awesome show this Wednesday. It will be wild. You can rest assured. God bless you and keep you. Join us next time for Sundays with Dr. Sean. And please follow this show and the Collision of Faith and Politics radio show during the week at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash the ninja pastor and follow dr sean on twitter at the ninja pastor and on facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash god in country radio and check out all the free messages archive shows and buy dr sean's critically acclaimed book excellence killed the church how mediocrity is destroying america at www drshawngreener.com Join us during the week. And in the meantime, Dr. Sean will be fighting for you and for this great country. Thank you for joining us in this fight.